I do think it's really important the way and how we do science. You know, whether it's environment or it's the animals, the humans, it's all the soil, the water, all of that is all, all connected together. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an approach to the way that you, you execute. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to Women in Wyoming, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. This is Chapter 5, The Cowgirl State, which explores themes of healing, consciousness, and connectivity. This time, Marnie Peterson, the Chief Scientific Officer of Perfectus Biomed, which is a global biosciences company based in Jackson, Wyoming. Marnie is an inventor who specializes in experimental therapeutics and infectious diseases, as well as an entrepreneur who took a big career leap and left her leadership position in academia to relocate to Wyoming and start her company here. A pioneer in what she calls conscious science, Marnie and her team conduct their research on non-live animal tissue, which vastly reduces live animal studies. During our conversation, Marnie and I talk about why it matters, how you conduct your research as a scientist, her love of science and lifting up the next generation, and life, what it means to be a mother in an aggressive career, and how to pivot when you need a change. Here's Marnie. I grew up on a rural farm in Iowa, and so I was completely surrounded by nature, and we had pigs, horses, chickens, as well as all the agriculture that we had, corn and soybeans. And so for me, when, when people ask me, when did I get interested in science, it's, it's almost as if I can't remember not thinking about science. It goes back so far. I think that's just the way my mind thinks. And then growing up and seeing animals born, watching them unfortunately die of illness or disease, you get really connected to the life cycle in which the underpinning of it all is biology, chemistry, science. So that was a big influence on me. And in addition to that, my parents were strong influencers. And my father had a gotten his degree in animal science. So he was always influencing me and explaining a lot of the biology behind the, the general operations of the farm, whether it was the crop cycles, the soil, or in raising healthy healthy animals and keeping them healthy. But I think, you know, the interest in infectious diseases has been strong from the beginning. I really think that was a lot around keeping the animals healthy, vaccinating them, deworming them, you know, all the things that go into helping large herds and flocks of animals thrive. So that was a big part of it. But with my, with my dad having a background in animal science and had considered going to veterinary school at one point, that was something that I considered early on. And so I had a strong connection with the animals. And then in addition to that, my mom worked um, as an x-ray technician for the chiropractor in town. So she also had that, the clinical aspect of, of human health. And so those two influencers, those, all those factors, the parents, and just the nature and the farm were what really drew me to, to science. And then in addition to that, being in school, those were the areas that where I really thrived, were in STEM and science and, and math. 
So it was really easy then for me to gravitate to a career because I had that acumen already. And how did you translate connecting those dots? I mean, it sounds like it was a really natural progression. You were kind of really set up on the farm and with your family to get exposure to that. And then just, just having that gift in school as well, which always helps build that confidence. What kind of funneled your vision into at least taking that next step to study pharmacology? One thing that I want to say, when I was in school, I did the science fair or the science competition where you had to develop experiments and then present them. And a couple of things with that are, I was maybe about 10 years old and my dad from college had all these biology books and he had created slides, like glass slides with sections of plant matter and whatever else on them. And I asked for a microscope for Christmas and I got it. And I spent hours looking at those slides and you know making drawings and things like that. So that's a very, uh, a very strong memory. And then at the science fair, my project, and, and my dad helped me with this, we created Petri dishes, grew bacteria, and for our incubator, we used a shoebox and put it behind the wood-burning stove to keep it warm. And then we treated it with some of the antibiotics we had in hand because we used them for the animals when they would get sick. So it ended up winning the, the science fair with that. And I had two microscopes set up, one showing bacteria treated, you know, with or without antibiotics. And my co, co-presenter was a, a woman that was in my class and she went on to become a doctor. So I just think that's very, very interesting. So I think there was this connection with the infectious diseases and then wanting to have an impact on human health and using yourself best there. And I talked about my mom having that clinical human health impact through, through x-ray technology. So when I was deciding what I was going to do, I had to sign up in junior year of high school. I had to sign up for this career fair. And I remember also thinking about chemical engineering. So I had signed up for the chemical engineering presentation. And then I signed up for some crazy like Air Force presentation because I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll use the military as a way to get, get my education paid for. So I was exploring that. And then I had one spot left and my mom said, why don't you sign up and uh, for the pharmacist for their presentation? Cause I, she always really respected the pharmacist. So that was my third slot. So the decision was really made there at that career fair because the chemical engineering, they sat us in a room, they showed us a video of people wearing goggles and uh, chemicals pouring from one vat to the other. And I was the only woman in the room. And on the film, there were no women in the film. So I thought, I'm not sure I want to do this. This seems kind of sterile. And then when I went and listened to the pharmacists talk about their, what they do and the people they impact, I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. And it applied math and science and chemistry. So I was in the state of Iowa, you know, we were on a farm, not a lot of resources. So I picked the school that was University of Iowa, the head of pharmacy program. And that's the one college I applied to and got in. And that that launched my interest in pharmacology. Well, and there's a couple things there. I mean, first, just that visibility and what, you know, how it steered you in a different direction. I mean, that's definitely a huge part of this project is just seeing is believing. And I mean, it's kind of a great example right there of when you're not seeing a reflection of yourself, like, can I be here? And, but then I think also your mom recognizing something in you too and kind of helping you. Yeah. And the other thing with it in the decision-making for myself is 
getting off the farm and going and get an education where you could be independent and support yourself. And I knew I needed to go to college. I knew I needed student loans and I was going to pay for it myself. So I was picking a career path also that I could afford it. I could get enough grant support to achieve that degree and be independent. There's that other motivational factor that's the economic part of it. Well, and you didn't end up becoming a pharmacologist. Wait, what? Is that the right term? Pharmacist. Thank you. I'm like, wait a second. You did. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I, I did. I ended up... Um, so I was at the University of Iowa and, you know, then I started working at the hospital as a, as a technician. So it's a long story, but I ended up transferring from the University of Iowa halfway through the University of Minnesota. And I did complete and get my pharmacy degree. And I worked as a pharmacist for seven years. And part of it was, you know, you, you just keep opening doors and finding about, finding out about other things. And we can talk about that, but the pharmacy position I could support myself when I was going to graduate school. I also want to talk about something you touched on just with the infectious diseases and and that broader reach and some of your, I know you had an experience in Thailand that was really formidable. What were those doors that were opening where you thought, "Mm, maybe I want to go down this pathway now? So I transferred to University of Minnesota. They had a very strong doctor pharmacy program. At that point, I was not going to be a retail pharmacist, but I was going to be somebody that was clinical and in the hospital and helping manage the drug management therapy for critically ill, you know, problems in in people. Because I had observed these people when I was working as a pharmacy tech, when I was at the University of Iowa hospitals, I'm like, what's that? What's that person do? They round with the doctors and all these things. So I transferred to the University of, of Minnesota. And then along the way, what's happening at this time, it's early to mid nineties is HIV is happening globally, but it was really a problem. And there weren't a lot of therapies to treat people and they were dying of the opportunistic infections that were happening to them uh, because their immune systems were so compromised. So I got very, even more strongly interested in infectious diseases. And it's such a, a problem solving and sleuthing type of specialty. So I had that interest. And then we had the opportunity, a few students of us were selected to spend the summer in Thailand. It was my first time outside the country. There were three of us in, that went from University of Minnesota and some a uh, couple students from Ohio State and Maryland. We all showed up in Thailand. And they we were there five weeks, and they took us on this experiential all around the country from the Ministry of Health down to the village doctor. Very impactful. But what you what you came to appreciate is that once you step outside the U.S. and you go to a countries that don't have as much infrastructure, open sewers, things like this, people get sick from diarrheal diseases because they don't have clean water or they've got tuberculosis. And they also had a lot of antibiotic resistance and they had a lot of HIV happening in their hospitals. And there would just be patients sitting out in the hallway and the ventilation in the hospitals is to open the windows and, and the fans going. So that really launched my strong interest in infectious diseases, but global, global health and thinking more broadly around antibiotic resistance and population health. You were based in the Midwest for for quite a while. And then you're obviously in Wyoming now. That is a big leap to try to forge a path for yourself here. I mean, that's what this project is all about. So what was it about Wyoming that made you want to start fresh and start your company here and your build your global 
business really here in our city. It's like everything in your life coalesced in, in the sense before taking the leap and coming to Wyoming and from the time point where we were talking about, let's see, it was about 2016 when I, when I launched the business here. And so it's almost 20 years. And so in the, in that 20 years, I ended up with the, with the research that I was presenting from working with that expert after pharmacy school, I run into a woman professor who's very interested in my research and she's in England. And she's a main influence on me as being a world known woman professor in this specialty in this area field of antibiotic resistance. And I work my way into her lab. I request if I can come study with her. She's in England at, at the University of Birmingham and she accepts and it goes well and I become her graduate student. So there's that step for now I'm leaving pharmacy to go to graduate school and get really involved in the science. And so that was several years of my life. And then coming back. Can I just pause you there for a second? Was that just seeing another woman in your field? Was that really a big part of that decision to work with her? I know her expertise was as well. It was that and it, it, it was tying together with my thinking or vision around global health and going international. So you know, leaving the Midwest, leaving the U.S., frankly, to start to get the international exposure, living in the U.K. So it was the piece of, I wasn't married, you know, it's like this was the time to do it. So it was as much the experience, international living experience and the culture, as much as the study at the same time. So that influence was was really strong. But then I ended up coming back to Minneapolis because, uh, you know, the, the personal side of it is, I met a man who's now my husband. He had a very good job in Minneapolis. So I came back and got a position at, back at the University of Minnesota studying under at the medical school and did a postdoc to study on the host response to infection. So continuing to, to hone my training and did that for a couple of years. And to really then at the time I'm thinking, I want to be a scholar. I want to do research. I want to develop new drugs and impact the world that way, and then also be an educator. And I couldn't move. And so the one place I needed to get that job was at the University of Minnesota that had the strong program to, to be on that platform. So I was able to land that after all that training and, and then launch the lab. But the other part of that position was, of course, educating the next pharmacist, the next physicians, the next dentists in, in the health sciences. I had, I had a part of that. So it was really, um, it was a lot, it was, it was hard to establish yourself. It required a lot of work, but um, I had a successful career and I got tenure and, you know, the lab was running really well, but something was missing. And, and by this time I have young children, let's see, three, four-year-old daughter at the time. And I had twin boys that were maybe one, both one and I just started to realize there's something missing. There's something else that there's more to my life than this. And so after sitting with my husband and thinking about it, where, where do we, where do we want to live? Where do we want to raise our children? It was the mountains and it was Wyoming. That sounds like a lot to walk away from and really start over. So <laughs> tell me a little bit more about that moment. It was a moment where we discussed it and, and then started making steps towards it. 
but it took me honestly, and people need to know this, like some people can maybe make just a quick decision and they move on, but it took me three years. It took me three years. And I actually had somebody I worked with that was like a career coach um, or a life coach to help me really reassess my life and what could it be beyond that, which I had become and was really, really identified with. Like, who am I outside of this role, outside of this job? That took a lot of work and thinking. It was really scary. I think there was just a point where I just said, if we don't make a change now, because there was a good timing for it where the children weren't established in school with all their friends, the next 10 years could be like Groundhog Day. You get up, you go to your, I mean, very similar, repetitive over and over again. And I just felt we needed to make a change and, and figure out what that was. But yeah, it did, it did take a long time. And so we moved full time to, to Wyoming with the family in 2014, but I actually commuted back and forth to the university to keep my laboratory going for two years, every two weeks. And what kind of studies were you running at the lab at that time? I had an NIH grant and we were looking at solutions for, one of them was uh, Staph aureus, you know, like MRSA and targeting new drugs to target um, its ability to cause severe infection. So we were characterizing all of that. I had some, I ended up having a Department of Defense government contract come in at that time that I'd worked hard on. And that was in partnership with a large uh, medical device wound care company. So we were trying to work on a liquid spray bandage for soldiers to have in the battlefield that could both kill the multi-drug resistant bacteria and heal the wounds of the soldiers. So there were just a lot of um, other projects that were going on. So I still had quite a big lab. I had some strong leadership that could keep it going when I wasn't there. But yeah, so just flying back and forth, it just seemed like this is not sustainable. This is not why why we took this, this jump. So I got connected to the brain, scientists at Brain Chemistry. They were ex-academics that had created a research group in Wyoming and in the Jackson area. And that, once I saw that, again, seeing those people and they were happy and they were making it happen in this area, I thought, okay, I can do that. And they, that's right. They were the ones that connected me to the business council. So I just started to get support and get the business launched and get, get find a facility to launch the business into. Well, and I mean, you're really a leader in this space now. And I think also the biotech field is, is kind of this new frontier and in industry in Wyoming that's really starting to take off, I mean, but I'm sure still was a transition to, to get going here. Yeah, absolutely. Once we had the company formed and then I was kind of in the background, um, getting all the equipment in place, got connected to someone that has a scientist in the Sun Valley area that moved here was my first employee. So I had all that in the background and then left the university like June 30th and launched the business July 1st, basically. So pulled as much research with me to the lab in Wyoming. But the other important piece of it was I had the support of the University of Wyoming. So they were able to help with the tra transfer of the Department of Defense contract from the University of Minnesota to the University of Wyoming. And it was that contract with some other business uh, research projects that we had that launched the business. And that contract went on for two years. So I had that connection right away with the university and their, their top, top leadership support in research and economic development. 
Yeah. And I know you're still very connected with the university and it seems like that's a big part of your business model still is trying to keep science in Wyoming and these opportunities. And I was on faculty with them for the two years that I had the contract and then that ended. But by then I had two years to continue to grow the business and, you know, hire more employees and become more mature. But it just shows you all the support you need around you because there's so many steps along the way where you could fail. It's really important. There's a group here in Jackson called Silicon Coir that took me in under their wing as well. And, and I was part of their pilot mentored program. So they were basically business advisors to help with the financial and the business model and the business plan. So that, that was a big piece of it. And then in, there were people in the Valley that had science backgrounds, but just didn't have any place to work. So I was able to employ them. And then we just, we started to grow up from there. Let's talk about that. I mean, you wear so many different hats. You're an inventor, you're an expert in experimental therapeutics. So can you tell me what that is <laughs> and infectious disease, you know, and you're obviously an entrepreneur too. So tell me about the work that you're doing here in Wyoming. So our work is really to accelerate preclinical research, specifically focused on infectious diseases. And, and I start there because we then touch a lot of sectors by doing that. And preclinical is everything up to human studies. So one of our niche things that we focus on, and these this technology, some of it was developed when I was at the University of Minnesota, is we have tissue models that can simulate clinical infections, or we can simulate clinical scenarios. And when we work with companies, whether it's a pharmaceutical company or a company developing a wound dressing, even someone trying to develop uh, the next generation of an antiviral or a, or a, a surface sanitizer uh, from the skin, they need models that are predicting the performance of their technology that will happen when it goes into humans. Otherwise, they spend all this time and all this money and it looks good and they go into a human clinical trial and it's toxic or it simply doesn't work. And only 30% of infectious diseases drugs in a phase two are clinically effective. So they just fit, completely fail after all that work. So we've developed models that help them accelerate their development, help them refine their IP. And when they get to their clinical study, they hopefully have a higher likelihood of success. And the other thing is we significantly reduce animal experimentation. So we call them non-live animal alternatives for technology development. And this seems like really a niche industry. Was this what you were doing a bit of before you moved to Wyoming too? I've been developing the, these models or these tools for drug discovery and drug development for it's almost been 20 years now, but when we were first using them, the, the dogma is that you take your invention or your idea from a test tube, it looks good, and you go into the animal study. And are the animal models that effective? Do they, are they simulating? If I find success in this animal model, does it really going to have success in humans? Are they that predictive? Some of them are not very good. And I simply just didn't like doing the animal experimentation. So I really wanted something that would help prove out the concepts, and then really refine, if you have to use an animal experiment, really refine that study so you do it once or you do it a couple times. So instead of researching and utilizing, and these are these are 
small rodent animals, but still, if you're if you need 15 versus 85, that's a huge difference, and and not only for animal research, but um, time and money and all of those things. But there's a huge wave and movement now for a shift to just companies are being formed around this, that they're developing these tools and techniques that are like labs on a chip. So we can avoid, accelerate the process, but avoid a lot of the animal experimentation because it's just, um, some of the models just simply aren't that good. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you were really on the forefront of that before cruelty-free, all of that is so much more consumers want that and, and it's just more ethical and I feel like probably your farm background played a big impact in that too. Seeing the animals, taking care of them. Yeah, it's like conscious science. Conscious science, I love that. Yeah, and the tissue from pigs is very similar to human tissue. So you can use it as a surrogate. And there is that connection then with Wyoming. So I had developed these models in, in tissue, in pig, some of it in pig tissue. When the lab was launched in Wyoming, I needed that partner. I needed the source of the, of the pig tissue. And I just want to be clear that none of the animals are sacrificed for me to get this tissue. This is tissue that's normally discarded when animals are sacrificed or harvested for bacon and pork chop and ham. So I, I was able to get a strong collaboration with the farmer nearby. And so, and he was very happy because it helps him sustain his farm and his practices. And he basically gets to use the whole hog. So the meat's being used for human consumption, and then the pig skin, the pig could be a lung, it could be the reproductive tract is being utilized for advancing science. Yeah, that's fabulous. And I, just going back to what you touched upon, you know, this idea of conscious science, is that an actual term or is that something that resonates with you with what you're doing? I'm sure it's a term, but I, it's something that I think about. And even as a business, we reuse, reclaim, recycle as much as possible. We're part of that program. I do think it's it's really important and the way and how we do science. You know, whether it's environment or it's the animals, the humans, it's all the soil, the water, all of that is all all connected together. So, you know, it's it's, it's an approach to the way that you you execute. So that's how we got connected and had that impact on this local farmer. So we, we call it um, farm to bench. I love that. It's what we say internally. What are some of the projects you're working on right now that are really exciting to you and your team? We have many, many projects going on right now. A lot of them are more, you know, can be confidential and things like that. But I'm excited because some of the projects are around how companies are trying to harness personalized medicine, how they're trying to harness the own products of your body to help heal yourself or to help treat something that that may be ailing you. So those are some exciting uh, projects that we're working on. The the cosmetic industry has changed a lot and it's becoming very science-driven. Whether it's pharmaceuticals or cosmetics, there's a lot of interest in the microbiome. So we're helping companies to develop new technologies that are basically fostering, you know, healthy bacteria to treat an infection or disease or to help give you um, healthy glowing skin. So I think that's really exciting. And then the other thing we've done, we've expanded when we have a virology suite. So we're helping companies to treat and have effective products that will kill a whole slew of, of, of viruses, all kinds of technology. 
whether it's technology that's in textiles or it's technology that's aerosolized, you know, uh, nebulized, um, just a lot of different approaches to, to treat infections. With where you're at now, do you, are you still in that mindset of what's another door that could open? Or do you feel like now you're kind of on this track where you can see where you want to go for the next 10 years? Or are you always just in the moment and, you know, maybe another door can open? There's always doors that can open, right? I mean... I always had this philosophy of you never know who's going to sit next to you. And you know, when we used to fly a lot, you never know who's going to sit next to you on the airplane. And that could be a door opening or someone you meet at some event you might go to or something. Um, so those opportunities are around you all the time. Let's talk about an opportunity. I ended up merging my business with another woman that founded her science laboratory based business in England. And I met her because the two of us were put on an innovation team by a med device company. So we randomly were selected and we end up in this, on this team. And after 18 months of working on this team, there's just the two of us left that's helping this company innovate. And through that process, we realized that we both have the same values of if we're going to spend our time with a client and trying to help them R&D and innovate, we care a lot and we're going to help you as much as we can. So we both came with, with that approach versus I'm a paid consultant and it's more about me than maybe about you. Or I'll deliver on a scope of work, but I won't overthink it. So I think we both cared a lot and we had that value system. I think the other aspect was that we had the research labs. So we weren't just experts, we had the laboratories and we were providing them data. And what made you wanna do that merger because that's a huge step as well to, to really take on a partner. It's like a marriage, and, you know, it's a big deal. And what, what made you want to uh, go that direction with your company? Yeah, exactly like a marriage. I just felt that I, I would really like to have a partner, a business partner. That was one aspect um, to not do it alone. I was at the point where I needed to take on investment or figure out the next steps, but I still wouldn't have that partner. And I liked the idea. I mean, they were a little bit more established. Um, they had more employees. They had figured a lot of things out. So I would get that know-how and knowledge and support, and we would instantly become a global company. That's really exciting. I do think that's a big theme in your work is this global impact, even though you are still very locally based and, and very conscientious of the local community and how you can work with local producers as well as the state, but then having this global reach, which sounds like that's very exciting to you. You know, what is it about that that fires you up? Well, science is global. I mean, I, I, internet, especially, in, you know, infectious diseases is, we're all affected by that. I, I think that's just how I'm wired. Getting on a call and you're talking to somebody from Australia, and I may be on the call late at night, but it's exciting to be connected to people, to understand what's going on, to get to be a part of new technology. That's just something I enjoy, the different cultures and the different perspectives. And I think that's just how you reach and have that broader reach then. It gives you so much more awareness and perspective of your place within the whole context of the world, really. And so I feel so thankful because we can be sitting here and have this lab and we're 
touching, you know, technology and people all around the world. It's like, wow, that's just, it's just really amazing. And science is for the most part, highly collaborative. It just makes your life really rich as you build that network of scientific collaboration. That's fabulous. What advice would you have to young girls wanting to pursue science? What advice would you want to share with them? The first thing I would say is if you want to do science, do science. I mean, pursue it. Don't let anybody take you off your mark. Don't ask permission. I mean, if there's one thing I could tell myself along the way is why did I need permission? Why did I need somebody to tell me I could do it? I could do it. Don't hold yourself back, which is a lot of, a lot of what happens. Women are young girls. They deselect themselves because maybe they're not getting that support. So I would say, don't do that. Right. But at the same time, get, get your champions and get your support around you. And I think it's really good too. I did a lot of this and I know a lot of other scientists would get inspired is you read about the stories about other scientists because you can then see yourself in them like, okay, you know, you can be inspired by them and it can help launch your career. It's not hard. It's not easy. It's highly competitive. I think people that play competitive sports, I mean, and that's a very good thing to have done at the same time because you learn to work in teams. You you learn how to, how to train, how to persevere and then get in contact with other scientists and start to get experience because the quicker you can, this part is important. Like I, I would say to some people, well, they'd say, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to be a scientist or not and, and come into a lab. I don't care if you don't know, if you have an interest, come in and, and, and conduct research for us. And at least then you'll know not to waste time going down that track, but you'll go down another one. So just don't be afraid. Just, you know, go for it and get involved in, there's all kinds of programs that companies offer, or when you go take the step into the universities, you can do research for credit, you know, just, just start to, to get engaged and involved. But the other fun pieces, listen to podcasts, you know, or read books. There is so much fun, exciting science that's happening right now. It's just amazing. And it's moving at light speed. And you can have a lot of career opportunities by just stepping into that space of, of science and math and engineering, and biology, chemistry. There's a lot of doors opening and there, there just needs to be, be more women within science. Because I, I think that there, you just need a lot, you need different perspectives. Otherwise, the, the scientific field will just get stuck in a dogma. Absolutely. When you just look at your life arc so far, what do you feel like have been some of those, that same wisdom that's propelled you forward or just those biggest lessons learned, you know, outside of the science field and just life in general, what's helped you get to where you are today? You know, besides having a highly supportive spouse and and family and parents that always said, you know, believed in you and you can do it. But then one of the hardest things was when you, you have young children. And trying to figure out how to manage all of that. Uh, and you're exhausted. So trying to maintain your health and and be present for your children and your family. At the same time, you're in a very aggressive career path. So I think that's the hardest thing. So I think what helped me a lot was having other women that had walked that path before me that could give me really, really good advice. Or one professor said, 
you just got to get up at 5 a.m. when your whole house is quiet and do your creative thinking there. This is how you're going to get it done. And I heard that and I changed that changed everything. And that's it's, I still do that today because you need that quiet time for yourself. So it's just I think it's just talking to people, especially other other women. But I had a lot of supportive male colleagues and peer to peer collaborators that that helped me a lot. You just can't get there on your own at all. It's impossible. One, one thing I wanted to mention is that I had a young, I was just at YO Bio Summit. So as you were saying, Wyoming's trying to enhance the, enhance and explore, really expand into biological and health sciences and agri-science and all these things. Like what are the opportunities that we can take on and create economy around an opportunity? I was on a panel and then I had someone ask the question of about risk taking and entrepreneurship and how you get comfortable with risk taking. You have to be creative and a risk taker to be an innovator. You have to have both. There are also times in your life where you can take a lot of risk and there's times when you just can't right now because you have way too much responsibility or you have young children that you're trying to, to nurture. And I, I think it's okay sometimes you can't take risk but you're still a risk taker. I just wanted to say that because there's a lot of other factors that go into people's ability to take on certain things at certain times. And, you know, and that's the whole thing with juggling, juggling your career, your, your relationships and your, your family is there are times, you know, they say you can't have it all. And it's like, well, we, we try to have it all. And what is having it all? But there are times where you, Maybe take your foot off the accelerator so you can focus on some other things. But, you know, and then being clever, creative about how you can still continue, or at least in the background underneath things are continuing on so that when you come out of that and your kids are more independent or whatever it is, maybe you're taking care of a family member or something like that, but you still got your, you still got your, you didn't give it all the way up. You know, it's still there and it's still coming along in the background. Well, and I think that risk-taking, like part of that risk is that failure and how you were speaking to yep. maybe happening yep. early in your career. I mean, when you don't have as big of a reputation or mm-hmm. you don't have as, you know, you haven't worked up the ladder, so to speak, like ma- failing, mm-hmm. failing is a lot easier because maybe nobody yeah. knows you yet. Yep. And I think we could probably we all need- relate to that in our realms of life. It's really interesting you talk about failure and fear of failure. So the process of science is, most people say this, it's greater than 90% failure. So it doesn't give, up, give it up easily. It's definitely a dedication and there's a lot of persistence. When I talked to a very senior professor who was at the University of Wisconsin that trains young people, trains PhD graduate students, trains undergrads, and has a whole program to bring these programs to undergraduate and high school students. And I asked her, what, what's one of the hardest thing that, that these young people struggle with when they're exposed to science or thinking they want to become a science or training to become a scientist? And she said, number one was they didn't like the failure. They were afraid to fail. They didn't like it that science was a lot of failure. It was very difficult to keep trying, keep learning, keep tweaking, keep seeking. And that that's very, very much the process. And yeah, and that's the same thing with drug development. They say, fail early. 
you know, and move on to the next one. Well, and they say that in entrepreneurship and business as well, fail fast, get out there and try yeah. and fail. And so you can keep moving forward versus getting stuck in something that yeah. may not be the direction. Every failure in the laboratory we use as an opportunity for learning and improvement. So there's the, the, the pain and suffering of it, but actually there's the excitement of, okay, what, what can we learn from this? What, what can we, what can we use from this to make the whole process and the whole approach different and better? That's the waking up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. I still need a little more sleep right now with my, my two-month-old. But Okay, well, we have had such a great conversation. Is there anything we missed or that you want to add? Yeah, I just, I just think that for me, I mean, I just love science. I absolutely love it. And it's so in the undercurrent of all that we are and that we do. So I just get so excited and fascinated by it. And I love having young people come in and learn and get their kind of first taste of it and, and watching their, their lives and career progress and their impact. It's amazing. That was inventor, infectious disease expert, and the chief scientific officer of Perfectus Biomed, Marnie Peterson. To learn more about Marnie, visit womeninwyoming.com. That's womeninwyoming.com. You can also find the project on Instagram at womeninwyo, that's womeninwyo, and on Facebook at womeninwyoming. I'm Lindsay Linton-Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming. Women in Wyoming.